Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Hope you are all doing well this week. Yes, I know a lot of you were excited. We went live with video last week on the program. Not this week. We're going to try to do it again down the road. But this week, it's all about the matchup. We're on the podcast network. and We have a lot to discuss this week. So no time to waste ahead of a little friendly colleague versus colleague bragging rights matchup on BTL this week. So let us introduce the combatants. We'll get right into the first question. First, introducing the man who was in Las Vegas during a crazy UFC 266 event last week. From MMAfighting.com, one of the grizzled BTL veterans over the years, the man who could do it all, Mr. Jose Youngs. Hello, sir. Welcome. How are you? Am I? Was I on the original show, like the first episode? I think so. I think you've been... Was, it's like you, was Damon... This ma- was you- this the matchup of the first episode? Was it? Oh, on MMA... I, like in this version? An MMA, yeah, fighting? MMA version? fighting version? I know I cooked Damon. Because I remember that was like right when we start, like Casey started to take produce, like took over the producer role, and uh, we were trying that new software, and it kept crashing Casey's computer. So it took like three and a half hours to record one episode. But uh, I yeah. know, I believe it was either me or AK or me and Jed in episode one. Because I think I started off hot, like three and zero, and then cooled off a bit. Uh, it was Jose Youngs and Alex right. K. Lee, and oddly enough. We were just the first topic we discussed was the latest with John Jones, and that's what we're going to be talking about this week too. Mm. Full mm, circle, mm, ladies and gentlemen. Full circle. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> Sean Alshadi. I think Sean Alshadi coins that phrase, right? It came from nowhere else. It's <laughs> a very Sean Alshadi uh, thing to say, no doubt about that. And as you heard already, you've heard the voice of the Prince of Positivity, the co-host of <laughs> On to the Next One, also from MMAfighting.com, and. It may or may not be his birthday once again. Mr. Alex K. Lee. Hello there, sir. No tuxedo it's needed. Me. Just your voice. How are you? It's me. 
Uh, I'm here. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, spoiler, guys. Spoiler. Sorry to uh, jump in early. And uh, our, our, our listeners now know that, yes, it will be a, a battle of the, the originals. Uh, a battle acqu- of the originals. Colleagues, uh, acquaintances, amicable uh, members of the shared MMA community. I think that's, you know, that is not best friends like you and I are, Mike. Yeah. Not that I want to influence any of the judging that's going on today, but I just want to make everyone's relationships clear here. Always love having a little tete-a-tete avec Jose Young's. So uh, I'm looking forward to today's show. <laughs> yes, a Jed Mishulis BTL this week. In fact, I'm going to see Jed in person for the first time ever tomorrow morning. I'm going to play some golf with Mr. Mishu you're here saying, in South I've, I've worked with Jed for almost three years, and you're going to have met him in person more than me? <laughs> yes, I think so. It wow. just, just turned out schedules worked out, and we're going to play some golf and, <laughs> and, and talk some smack. So let's get into this thing. Let's talk about the biggest story in the sport right now. It's not a very good story, but John Jones, his latest arrest. This time he's facing charges of domestic violence, tampering with the vehicle. The police report was made public from the Las Vegas Police Department earlier this week with some pretty horrifying details and allegations, some some very scary and heartbreaking accounts of that night in Las Vegas after the Hall of Fame. And we, of course, reacted to the initial news of the arrest on Friday, but more has come out since then. Dana White has reacted to it on multiple occasions. John Jones is saying that this will now end up being the best thing that has ever happened to him and that he's no longer going to consume alcohol. It's just a lot to unpack over these last five or six days. So, Jose, let us begin with you. Your reaction to the police report, John breaking his silence kind of on Instagram stories, lifting weights, and just everything we've learned of these charges over this week. Well, I think I would have – I'm going to have a little bit of a different um, – it, it, it hit me a little di- differently than I think most of the MMA media landscape because I saw John Jones in person. But not only did I see John Jones, his fiance and, and kids were about four feet away from me that night at the UFC Hall of Fame red carpet. Like I was about two feet away from John Jones interviewing him, and she was right behind me sitting with her kids, like with UFC PR. So. We went we right after that we like obviously the next day we had official weigh-ins and me our good friends Oscar Willis and New York Rick went to go get breakfast after and during the drive over all of our phones started to blow up and less like we had just seen all of those people less than 12 hours ago so we were just like it hit us like like how is this even possible because uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys watched the red carpet interview we did with them like John Jones is a very charismatic captivating individual and. I, I think I've I've I talked to our colleague Alex Avs about this too. Like I saw her in person a few days ago, <clears throat> and like she interviewed John Jones after one of his previous transgressions, and he she said the same thing. Like he just does a good job of convincing you that this is all all of his troubles are in the past. Like he's done this before. Like he's a very like you know I think his phrase was like I'm gonna do things more legally controversial. That's what he said on the red carpet, and then less than 12 hours later. He's getting arrested for domestic violence. So he, he just does a really good job. I don't know if it's his PR person, his publicist, whatever, but he does a really good job of getting you to believe what he says. I don't know how you can believe him anymore after this because there's one thing like like drunk driving is awful. Hit and run, awful. Like Everything he's done is terrible, but I don't know how you can look past domestic violence, especially from a sport that is com- com- combative. Like John Jones is also a heavyweight now. He's huge. He was like 250 pounds when I saw him. His fiance is a very small blonde woman. And she was very nice, 
but it's it's just I don't know how you can look past this. I don't know what to do with him next. Like they're not going to cut him. So before we go, what should we do with John Jones? I'm not even going to say cut him because that's not a possibility. They're not going to let John Jones go to Bellator or anywhere else like this. Uh, I I was I don't want to say horrified, but I wasn't surprised at John Jones's Instagram story because he has this very much like oh woe is me like his phrase this is the best thing that ever happened to me is like the worst thing you could like it's like outside of like I'm glad I did it it's like the worst thing to say because he's not the victim he his fiance was bloodied the bedroom was bloodied and his kids his kid his daughter is the one that said call the police and you're saying this is the best thing that ever happened to me that's stupid that is the stupidest thing I could have like you could have said that is the worst thing you're at for your first statement because you're not the victim it's not oh God is testing me oh it's the alcohol's fault it's your fault and also let's not forget he was in Las Vegas for the UFC Hall of Fame. They were celebrating John Jones, and then this happens. The fact that he like is this the first thing that John Jones has done in Las Vegas to get arrested outside of like obviously he had like the USADA pop, but everything else has been <clears throat> like New Mexico or other places. And then Dana White saying we can't take him to Las Vegas because he gets in trouble. How many times do we know has he been in trouble in Las Vegas? One, this is the first time. What don't we know? What has happened that we don't know? So it's it's it was disgusting. I can't I don't know what I don't know what like obviously let the legal system play out. Um, but it is absolutely horrendous. And it just it was already disgusting. But after reading the reading the report and seeing that it was his kid that find like because I'm sure we've all seen or known someone or seen at least even depicted in fictional like TV shows or books like in, in cases of like domestic violence, like oftentimes one of them is afraid to speak out. Because they're afraid of the reper- they're afraid of the their significant other, and that's kind of how it came off in the police report. So the fact that a child is the one that finally stepped up and was like, "Hey, call the police!" Horrifying, absolutely horrifying all around. Ak, how do you feel about it now, following our initial sort of response to the arrest, sort of the basics of it all? Because we didn't know a lot, and we had to be very careful with our words. And still, in a way, we still have to be sort of careful with our words. But now we've seen a police report. Like, you could read it all. And everything has gone public, at least from what happened from the police perspective and the reports they've written and seeing some of these horrifying details. Like, where, where are you at with this thing as of right now? I think if anyone uh, watches our reaction video that we made for, you know, when, when the news first broke, um, I know this will only be audio, so you guys might get a better sense of like how, how I was at the time. This was last Friday. I was I was exasperated. You know, I was exasperated, frustrated that we're we're thrust into the John Jones news cycle like this again. Um, definitely trying, you know, before trying to sort of contain my disgust with the situation again, because as you said, we hadn't had the details. We have the details now. There's still sort of allegations, but I mean, what we know it's it paints a pretty grim picture. Um, I feel like even in a best case scenario, depending on like what you decide to believe, it's still just this horrible, horrible, horrible situation where his, uh, you know, his fiance of, of 17 years is clearly in this in uh, abusive relationship that uh, I, I just really feels like she cannot get out of, you know, and before before anyone judges her for, oh, why stay with this man if she's in this situation? It's like they have three kids together. He's uh, he, he's clearly, you know, he's he's the breadwinner. And they've been in a relationship for 17 years. I don't think any of us can even begin to unravel the complexities of, 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 uh, of the, you know, the connection that these two have. So, you know, she might love him. She might not. She might hate his guts. But there's 
it's so, so complicated. And I don't think any of them, they're pretty private about, uh, you know, we don't hear from her a lot. I think, I think judging that side of it is very difficult, but I, I'm, I've definitely moved on from exasperated to rage, uh, and, and further discussed with John Jones, because his, as Jose pointed out, his reply is just the ultimate in avoiding accountability. It's, there's the alcohol. It's, uh, it's a, it's a learning, it's a learning thing. It's a something I will, this incident, I will turn to the best thing to ever happen in my life. This alleged domestic battery incident. I, I don't see how, how it could possibly become a, a positive thing, but this is what he is, the statement that he has put out. Uh, what the devil means for bad God means for good. So also, again, as he often does in these situations, leaning on his faith, leaning on religion. Um, and I'm not judging religion as a whole. I'm judging how John Jones uses his faith as a, as a weapon, as a shield, as a way to protect himself and say, well, this is just another test that I will overcome. He's done this many times in the past. He's really similar statements, so this is nothing new. Um, so in that sense, it's terrific. So my, my big change, I will say, uh, from this incident to incidents in the past, is I've always maintained John Jones is a sociopath. He has no empathy for other people, um, and he doesn't recognize when he's when his actions hurt other people. I am starting to think now he might actually be a psychopath and completely detached from reality. I, that might be the only way to explain his reaction to the news that has just come out. Again, allegations, the details are still, you know, we just have what we have in the police report, um, but it doesn't look good. And his reaction, I think, looks makes it all look even worse. Okay, a lot has been made about how the UFC and Dana White has responded to all this. And Friday was more, why are you surprised by this? This happens to, to John all the time. Vegas isn't for him. Just just kind of ripping John. you know. And at the same time, Dana's waiting for this all to play out legally before making any decisions on what to do with John Jones. And some people are calling for John's head on this. Like, the UFC should just cut bait. Like, let's not wait for the legal system. Let's just cut him right now. And there's two sides to this in a lot of people's minds right there's the morality side there's the public relations side like if this is all true if he is found guilty you've got to cut ties with this guy there's no way you can be mentioned in the same sentence as this guy but then on the other side like jose sort of alluded to it's a business like do you cut him and let him go to bellator or triller or bkfc etc and allow him to make money and make a living outside of the UFC. And Chell Sonnen, I mentioned this to you before he recorded, he put out this video the other day and said, like, the best punishment the UFC can give John Jones is to not cut him, to keep him under contract and just freeze him, just put him on the shelf and not do anything with him. And he basically said, like, not to turn the pistol on Dana White for not making a decision yet because it is a business and he's got all these things to weigh out. So, AK, I know the hypothetical game is a tough one to play in situations like this, but... If John goes to court, if he's found guilty, all of this stuff is proven to be true, what do you think will happen from a UFC pers perspective? I, I understand the the suggestion from Mr. Chilsonen that, um, you know, if they really want to stick it to him, if they really want to punish him and send him a message, it would just be to keep him around and, and keep him on their, uh, on their payroll, not really getting paid, and uh, not allow him to, again, potentially sign with him. And, and make a living as a fighter and what have you. But for me, I think I'm I'm looking past uh, what message they sh they wanted they should you know be trying to send to John Jones and just the message they should be trying to send out to the public. And so for me, I would like to believe if if uh, these allegations are substantiated, 
that they would just cut bait, that they that they would cut bait. Maybe even like I don't understand why they can't cut him during the investigation because you can always resign him. I mean, we've seen I don't want to say this has happened in other leagues because I know the NFL's famously bungled uh, several domestic violence cases. So I don't want to point to them as an example. But uh, I, I do think that you can you can. The UFC has such a, operates with such autonomy that they could cut ties with him. Hope, I'm sure I should say hope, assume that no one else will touch him while this investigation is underway. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overestimating, uh, you know, again, sort of uh, MMA promotions. But that, yeah, he would be radioactive for however long this investigation is going on. And then revisit whether you still want to be in business with this guy. Because, look, they are associated with ESPN now. ESPN is associated with Disney. There's this whole, and again, the ties aren't direct. But I feel like the, the optics of the situation, I think it would the UFC would send a very, very strong message uh, and sort of reinforce what they've said in the past but haven't always stuck to that zero tolerance for domestic violence Le- you know let's let's use John as an it's from if you want to look at it from a business more cynical way use John as an example use John Jones to say look if we're willing to punish him clearly we are serious about how we how we police our fighters and, and about their behavior uh, despite the fact that literally like a few days after the John Jones news broke out I think Greg Hardy uh, reportedly has a fight now, so that's a whole other thing. But if they want to, if they want to send a strong message again, not to John Jones, I think I think that they're right. That I think that if you want to punish him specifically, you just keep him around and just, and just keep him twisting in the wind. But if it's for from a PR perspective, I think the further this goes along, I think at some point you really do just have to cut him. I'm not saying they will. I just I would like to see that happen. Yeah, I remember how the, remember the code of conduct. Remember the whole UFC code of conduct. It, I feel like we haven't heard anything about it since it, like its inception. But Jose, l- l- let me let me frame it this way because you feel like the UFC is just gonna let him fight or whatever. But let's just say John Jones, either way, found guilty, found innocent, cuts a deal, whatever. John said in that interview that you talked about that he wants to return second quarter of 2022, fight for the heavyweight title. Now, one other thing on the business side, this clearly diminishes John's value no matter what since it's something that he's going to be attached to now so maybe the UFC in a way is thinking hey look this sucks this is awful PR we got 700 maniacs on the roster and shit happens but now they see John arguably the greatest fighter of all time is a guy that is in a position where his back's against the wall he could play ball a little bit more be more open to other fights less money all of that so what does your gut tell you right now? You feel like the UFC is not going to cut him, not let him go to a competitor, but do you feel that the timeline will still line up? Like if he doesn't go to jail or whatever, are you confident we'll see John Jones fight in 2022, I guess is what I'm asking you. Um, I'm not. I have 0% confidence that'll be second quarter 2022. It'll probably be near the end because they obviously they want stuff to play out because it's like, like I said, it's one thing to get like, obviously anything he does is, is bad it's horrendous but like and i don't want to say one is worse than the other but the optics of a professional fighter putting his hands like a very large the greatest of all time professional fighter putting his hands on a woman is just the optics are bad i'm sure dana white i'm sure disney i'm sure ari who hunter campbell whoever is gonna at least hit pause on john jones fighting for the title not that they don't want him to but i think it's just the, the as you said the business of it the optics of it they're not going to put him there um, and this kind of reminds me of like, remember when John Jones fought Ovin St. Peru? Like he kind of did it as a favor to the USC. Like he was supposed to fight Daniel Cormier and then Daniel fell out and <clears throat> like the old John Jones would have just pulled out completely. Like he did, like he, he like he, he, remember he didn't, he famously didn't want to fight Chael Sonnen and they canceled that whole card. But he stayed on and fought Ovin St. Peru 
because he kind of wanted to make it up. And then remember, he took he fought Anthony Smith, he fought Tiago Santos, he fought Dominic Reyes. Like these are all like favors to the UFC because he missed all of that time. I have a feeling if he does fight, maybe this the fourth quarter of 2022, it'll be something like that. Obviously, I obviously I would expect him like say he's cleared or whatever. I can't imagine that's the case, but best case scenario for John Jones, he's like he can fight. I'm pretty confident they're still going to give him the title shot right away because at the end of the day, like you said, this is a business, and I would say the second John Jones fights in the heavyweight division, he's one, if not the second biggest draw in that division. It's him and Francis. Him and Francis is still the biggest fight the UFC could put on, and and I hate to say it. Like, I, like people have started tweeting at me about it, <clears throat> and I saw it on Twitter. Like, what if they just made Derek Lewis and John Jones? We all know Derek Lewis's hatred for fighters that even have been accused of putting their hands on him. He famously, he said he did, he said all that stuff to Travis Brown when they fought. And obviously, I know Travis got cleared and all that stuff. But at the time, Derek Lewis, that was his whole thing. That's what that's what he built that fight on. He always has all this negative stuff to say about Greg Hardy. I don't expect them to go that route, but if they want to give John Jones a fight that will at least drum up some interest, I highly doubt they would make it the Derek Lewis fight now that I think about it because they don't want to build that fight. Like, do you think they want to talk about <laughs> that, that for be two ugly. months? That would be real ugly. So th- now I take it back. There's a 0% chance John Jones ever fights Derek Lewis now because they don't want that build for two months of that. So, but I, I, I don't know. I expect John Jones to fight for the title first, but say that doesn't happen john jones is gonna take like the next best thing just because i feel like he wants to smooth his image over like he's tried to do in the past <clears throat> yeah this situation just it but just you, sucks you shouldn't even be th- no one should even be thinking about john jones fighting 100 percent. yeah yeah just like, some, the worst crazy thing, the worst thing because like a cu- couple of our colleagues uh on the site were like is this the worst thing that could happen the worst thing for john jones and obviously well the worst thing that he's ever done is has happened like if there is an image like a rihanna type image like remember that after the her incident with chris brown and the photo came out with like her black and blue if that image comes out of his fiance like bloodied that's i don't think there's coming back from that that is just absolutely horrendous from just an optics point of view there shouldn't be no coming back from touching a woman anyway but from like a business point that's the worst thing that could happen for john Jones. Yeah, if that image comes out, you cut his ass. Let him go to wherever he wants. If Triller wants to sign him and pay him a bunch of money, you let him. You let them deal with that headache. But again, all allegations still needs to play out in court. Mm-hmm. Clearly, John not doing himself any favors with the whole IG story thing. But, I mean, maybe he has a PR team. If he does, he needs, like, a social media PR team to, like, you do not post anything and, like, let's be clear, because there's not a, a soul on this planet who would be it's like, you weird. know what, John, that's a great idea. And I don't know her name, but I think she sat next to John Jones. I remember when he did that that press conference when he was like crying after the USADA pop. I think she was like right next to him. And then when I interviewed John before UFC 239 when he fought Tiago, you couldn't see her, but she was right there. I think that was like his publicist slash public. What do you call it? Like she was there to make sure he didn't say anything stupid. And I so. I don't know if she still works with him anymore, but she's I've seen her many a time right there. She's basically like the angel on John Jones' ear telling him to like don't say something dumb. Yeah, take his phone. Take his phone and yeah, yeah don't even let him use his phone. Get right him now, a driver, but... take his phone, take his wallet, take everything. Yep. Give him a curfew. Yeah. 
give him yeah. give him a, a, someone to watch over like a handler something like this mm-hmm. is again and, and look this is more you know more attention to him than than he deserves like i said really right you know i i, I i'm sure people listening are like well we know we should of course be just concerned for his fiance for his children that's a whole other thing they also need protection they also need to be looked after they need to be taken care of they need some way to again either get out of the situation or find some sort of resolution again i don't know all the details of the relationship so i, I can't even be, i wouldn't even know where to begin um but that that's the other side of the story that i, I you know we keep saying it and we, we we want people to to keep that in mind there's another human being here three and three other human beings excuse yeah. me the children who are involved and i don't know what they're going to do but i hope that they again that they get some sort of assistance someone's looking after them because this is this is far from over it really feels like it's far from over Agreed. And I know this is kind of a crappy way to start the show, but we're going to move on to in transition to more positive things. We're going to talk sure. about a very exciting event this past weekend in Las Vegas, UFC 266, especially uh, just an instant classic main event for the featherweight title. But we will move on. The point for round one goes to. I give it to Jose Young's, but I mean, just but I mean, it's it's not even a point that you really want right. but it just is what it is it's worth discussing <laughs> yeah. and uh the bellator champion series is back in action friday may 17th live from paris france reigning bantamweight champ patchy mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist magomed magomedov and cedric the best Doombay makes his bellator debut in front of a home paris crowd versus jaleel the realist willis Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. We move on to the aforementioned UFC 266 main event because that fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega was crazy. Volkanovsky looked amazing and ortega is just a dangerous opportunistic cat and nearly got himself a submission win in one of the best rounds you will ever see that third round volkanovsky guts it out ortega is super tough probably too tough for his own good volkanovsky wins via decision 50 45 50 44 49 46 the scores don't indicate how like close and how exciting that fight actually was volkanovsky retains ak your reaction to this main event and more specifically if there was like one thing you took away from it more than anything else what was it vindication <laughs> uh i i hope that people I, I i hope people learn to love alexander volkanovsky i i understand uh, this is what happens sometimes when when you're dealing with uh sorry one second uh, I understand this is uh, sorry. This is what happens sometimes when you're dealing with a fighter who beat who beats a fan favorite and you know Max Holloway twice in time. Very controversial, which made it worse. I think I, it was bad both times. The first fight, it wasn't like a super exciting fight. I think a pretty clear cut win for Volkanovski, but not the kind of fight that had like Holloway fans going like, "Oh man, our guy got beat." It was more like it was like, "Ah, whatever." He he outpointed him. You know, Volkanovski's Volkanovski's not 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 the real best featherweight. Love to see him run it back, which they did. And in that second fight, the two the two biggest moments belonged to Holloway. He had the knockdowns in the in, in the first couple of rounds, and then. But again, I think if you watch the fight, I think Volkanovski 
clearly won the last two, and then the third is up for grabs. It's a great fight. It's kind of an underrated great fight. I, I, it's a shame that it's more controversial than it is. Like people look back at it positively. It's like that's a really good fight. Um, so I, I after after that performance on on uh, Saturday, I don't know what more Volkanovski could have done to bolster his reputation. He was he showed how uh, dominant he can be technically. He showed he can face adversity. This was not an easy win by any stretch. He was almost finished himself a couple of times. Uh, Ortega just doesn't go away, uh, even though maybe he should have been. Someone should have made that decision for him uh, going into the championship rounds. But uh, yeah, and, and he faced a guy who, who's very dangerous. Yes, someone who Holloway also pieced up, but I think a worthy, a worthy number one contender. I don't think anyone could dispute it um, outside of him running it back with Holloway over and over again. So for me, vindication is definitely the key. I think Volkanovski does a great job with the media. I think he's got a good personality, so I hope people enjoy his as well. Um, I, it was great that he got to fight in Las Vegas uh, in front of a crowd. So, so yeah, man, th- that that was the biggest takeaway with 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 credit to Ortega and 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 you know all the other tough featherweights. Volkanovski is the man and should be recognized as such. Jose, you were in Las Vegas. You watched it all when that fight ended. I don't know if you were in the arena or not, but. What, what, what was your biggest takeaway? What was like your number one thought coming out of that fight? That I think what Brian Ortega said in media day that him, Falkonowski and Max Holloway are going to be like the, like the three Kings of that featherweight division. I was like, I don't like, maybe you can throw in like a fourth person later on, but right now those three are just operating on another level because Volkanovsky won. But I said this, like, I think they said this in our preview show. Like it could be a fight where both men emerge as, as like, yes, technically one has an L on their loss on their professional record, but I don't know anyone that's talking down about Brian Ortega outside of the stupid trolls that have like no Twitter avatar on in, in the Instagram comments or the bots or whatever. But like that fight was unbelievable. If you want to tell me that's the best fight of the year, I don't I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to tell me that's the best featherweight fight ever, if you want to put that like I put that fight right next to like the second Aldo Mendez fight for like featherweight fights of all time. It was absolutely spectacular. The arena was like the whole arena was like vibrating like during that third round. I have I can't remember a louder T-Mobile arena than that third round. Like obviously there's like been some knockouts and stuff like that, but in terms of like like you hear like I'm not talking about a pop. I'm talking about like a continuous like everyone screaming as loud as they can for about 5 minutes. That is what the third round was. That was, that was an image where <clears throat> I've been. I did almost all of the pandemic cards, so I got used to the silence. And there are obviously fights that, like, oh, I wish this was in front of crowds. This was in front of crowds, but like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't. It doesn't really. It's still a fight. It doesn't matter. That fight would not like the Volkanovski Ortega fight was the first fight that I watched post-pandemic where I was like, God damn, I am so happy the fans are back because this would be <laughs> awful with no fans. That fight was unbelievable. Both men emerged victorious. Uh, I don't want to... Like, I wouldn't hate down the line if they ran it back because that fight was epic. Anytime you get a fight of the year, I want to see another fight because it was just so good. I want to see adjustments that Brian Ortega can make. So it's not going to happen. Obviously, he's not going to get the Holloway treatment where he gets the immediate rematch. But say Brian Ortega strings together two more wins and Volkanovski is still the champ. Wouldn't hate it. It also makes me more interested to see another fight with Brian and Max. And But Brian needs to take a break. He's absorbed a lot of damage his last three fights, and he's had time off between there. But that's because of injuries and various other things. So 10 out of 10 fight, fight of the year, round of the year. If you want to argue that it's the greatest round in UFC history, I won't argue that either. 
I feel like with everything that happened the previous day and what we talked about in round one, that fight like was sort of the vindicate like in case said vindication for why we love this sport so much. Like, yeah, there's some hiccups and there's some bumps in the road, but once in a while, a fight like that comes along, a round like that comes along, and you're just like, damn, this sport is just awesome. Despite some of like the negative things that can happen, this is why we watch. This is why we spend our Saturday nights watching fights, things like that. And it's great to see a guy like Volkanovsky who kind of like flip the switch to to a heel and talk trash, try to get in his opponent's head. And one thing people have been saying about Volkanovsky, Jose, over the last year, 15 months or so, is like, man, this guy is really good. He gets blamed for the Holloway decision, which, which makes no sense. But a lot of people, like, and Jed says it all the time, like, he might be the best featherweight in the world. Hell, he might even be the best fighter overall in the world right now. They just don't know. And maybe he is. And it's not. it's just not being talked about enough in terms of, where Volkanovsky should be viewed in those conversations. But after Saturday night, Jose, are you willing to say, can you put a number on it? Top five, top three. And I know it's super subjective with rankings, especially this kind of discussion, but is Alexander Volkanovsky a top three, top five pound for pound guy in the world right now? I'd say top five, but it'd probably be around the five or four mark. Uh, I think his two win, like again, his wins. He has like wins over two of the greatest, the two greatest featherweights of all time. He has two over max one over Jose Aldo. Those are the great. Those are one and two. I think we can all agree with that. I know Connor disagreed, but who cares? Um, those wins, though, as the Aldo fight was dominant, and then the Holloway fights were competitive, but he didn't put them away. I still put him probably five. If you want to tell me six, that's fine too. But he's clearly top ten. He's clearly top seven. I have said forever. Like I know a lot of people on our site disagree. I still had Volkanovski number one in my personal rankings as a featherweight. I know a lot of people would still put Max number one and Volkanovski number two, or like I think Casey Lydon had Volkanovski number four. Four. Like that, <laughs> yep. That's as that's as expected. Yep. That's as expected. And then like a lot, I still put in my mind, I still put Charles Oliveira number one lightweight because in the end of the day, I think wins and losses matter in a sport. And if you are the champion, you are number one. Just do I think the 2007 Patriots were the best football team in the world at that year? One hundred percent. But they lost. They are number two. They came in second. You cannot rank them number one in the in the 2000. I know Mike would probably disagree, but you can't argue with wins and losses. So I had Volkanovski number one, and I think this cemented him. Max Holloway is just the second best fellow in the world right now because he doesn't have 10 pounds of gold with her, 15 pounds of gold with him or whatever, however it weighs. So top six, top five. And are we, when you say pound for pound, are you including women in that right in that list? It's however you want to present it. I'd still put Kamaro number one, and then like Amanda and Valentina would have to be up there too. But if you want to tell me Volkanovski is, I think obviously with Habib and John Jones not being in that conversation right now, it would probably you'd have you'd have to include Volkanovski and Israel Adesanya, uh, Charles Oliveira doesn't play like all those guys. So yeah, I would probably put him five, five or six somewhere, but easily in my mind number one featherweight in the world right now. AK, we've done many of show BTL or, you know, even like the even like the the, the year prediction that we did uh, for on to the next one, like all these predictions we were going to do. And one of the things you said is like Alexander Volkanovsky, in essence, is going to get the praise and the shine that he deserves. This is going to be like the year that people recognize who the hell that man is. So in terms of like the pound for pound conversation after a fight like that, I know he only fought once this year because of the long layoff, but. Are we ready to throw him into this discussion? The pound for pound great, top three, top five. Where do you have him right now? 
Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, apparently, you know, uh, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. So uh, I'm glad that I somewhat predicted that uh, he'd be getting his flowers. I still, I mean, look, we still need to see the aftermath. I, 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 I was a little. I thought the like the reaction to the the decision being read for him. I mean, people knew he won. It wasn't controversial. But like, I feel like he was still less popular than Brian Ortega. Maybe I'm reading again. Uh, Jose, you probably had a better read on that. I still feel like Ortega is like the more popular guy for whatever reason. But, um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if his reputation changed for me. I already had him fourth. I had him fourth uh, behind Usman, number one. Uh, Izzy, number two. Ngannou, number three. That's probably not going to change because of this fight. So so I, I'm probably the highest on Volkanovski out of anyone, I guess, along with Jose. Um, so, yeah, so it doesn't change that much for me. And I'm just looking at our, our consensus pound-for-pound rankings. We have him fifth. So behind the names I mentioned and Dustin Poirier. So I don't know. I don't know how much going to – I always wonder, uh, guys, I always wonder how much a close fight affects someone's pound for pound dominance, you know, reputation. Cause I think, uh, you know, the one reason let's say Andrew Silva, a lot of people had him above, you know, GSP for a long time, depending who you ask, because he was so dominant in his fights. Uh, for me, the appeal of GSP was the, the vulnerability that he showed the depth of his division. Um, and the fact that he was sometimes in danger in his fights and was able to, you know, turn it around and, and still, you know, win, win in a definitive way, but always seemed vulnerable. So Volkanovsky, I don't know if I, you know, necessarily compare him directly to GSP like that. But for me, a fight like this, like I said, where he gets to show a little bit of everything and show and overcome adversity makes it more impressive and does make me view him uh, in, in a better light as far as pound for pound goes. But for other people, I could see the opposite. I could see people saying, well, I mean, how close was he to being finished? He could have been submitted in the third round. So how how great of a pound for pound fighter can he be? How dominant is he really? So I don't know. I, I can't speak for everyone. For me, I already had him high. For other people, I I could I could see an argument why um, again depending how you define pound for pound greatness, I could see an argument why you'd be like no he kind of stayed where he was you know maybe he leaped over, uh, definitively leaped over Holloway, but uh, even then I'm sure there are people who won't who won't uh, give him that designation. So, um, yeah I think I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of hedging here because again me personally yes top five pound for pound guy in general I don't know if he's made a, an airtight case that he should be. Yeah, and it's it's what threw me off like the whole week before that fight and all of this because there was Dana White had already said like Holloway's fighting Rodriguez November thirteenth and you know from all accounts for like six seven weeks that fight was not done um, or even close to being done for a number of reasons and then with this fight on the doorstep literally the day before is when ESPN reported and we confirmed it that it was happening and I was just like why. The timing of all this, the date it comes out, like when it's happening, it makes so little sense to me to even have this fight happen, especially when Volkanovsky is coming out and saying, like, I don't want to wait that long. I want to get right back in there. He's talking about maybe going up to 155 to stay active. And we have this fight we have to wait for on November 13th between Holloway and Rodriguez. It just makes no sense. They should just pull this fight and just do the third fight between Volkanovsky and Holloway. Just put it in, put it on the books for February or March. That's a main event. That's a fight everybody wants to see. But kudos to Volkanovsky. Happy to see him finally get a little bit of a kick in the respect department. It's been deserved for a long time. I really want to see that third fight between Volkanovsky and Holloway. In terms of high-level martial arts competition, quote-unquote Jose Youngs, that is the fight I want to see. I'm so fascinated by it. And I, I want to see them fight every weekend i want to see 12 fights from those guys and just see how different it would be and the adjustments that are made just unbelievable stuff but more on ufc 266 coming up next the point for round two goes to the prince o positivity alexander k lee the man driving the volkanovsky train since day one
Thank you, Alexander Volkanovsky. That's this is a shared point with Alexander Volkanovsky. <laughs> the, 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 the Alex has got to stick together. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah, Alex Savage, you get a third of the point too. So I know, look, she's a she's a bully. If she just wants, to, if she like messaged me and said, "Just give me the point," I have to give it to her. She's a, she's a real bully. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if people know this about her. Like she's, she's cool. Is. She is cool. Like I know we do call her cool, Alex, uh, and not just because we have to. She is cool, but um, she's she's a bully. I'm just saying. Did, well, I, don't... did I on a on a real quick tangent of cool, Alex? One time we were in Las Vegas. This was in our fan side day, and we had all our bags lined up to check in outside the T-Mobile Arena, and it's all like very expensive camera equipment and like lo- like various like bags and stuff. And this homeless guy like walked up and straight up bent over to try and steal someone's camera. And Ku Alex just like got in his face. He's like, and she's just like, what? And the, and the homeless guy was just like, huh? And then like <laughs> ran away. Like she like scared him away. <laughs> that guy was lucky. Yeah. So okay. you should ask you should ask Alex about that. That's it's I, I'll never forget that how like five foot one Alex Savage like punks this very tall homeless man from stealing a bunch of camera equipment. That I hope that hilarious. dude. I hope that dude turned his life around after because he, you know, I mean, I hope that like he realized how close he came to death on that day, and like, <laughs> oh, and then yeah. said, "Okay, I'm gonna. Do, oh my, I'm turning it all around. Oh my god. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Alex Savas needs to talk to to other people in, in those types of situations. But <laughs> yes. I'm not gonna mention John Jones, the life coach. There you go. <laughs> let's uh, let, let's get to the other big story coming out of UFC 266. That's right. Despite everything Jed Mashu has said over the last year, Nick Diaz. Made the walk to the octagon once again. It actually happened. Took on Robbie Lawler. And the way I approached this fight was, I'm going to be completely open-minded. I have no opinion. I have zero expectations. It's just two guys fighting. And going in with that approach, it was a much better fight than I thought it was going to be. Like, Lawler, Lawler looked real good. Landed big shots on Diaz. Nick, early stages, I was like, oh boy. But then Nick started returning, started peppering shots. He was active. It seemed like he was getting loose and more comfortable in there. And it had been a long time since he had been in there. Lawler drills him in the nose in the third. Nick goes down in a heap. And then he was just like, I'm done. Lawler avenges the loss from 17 years ago. Nick didn't get badly hurt. No one got badly hurt. So I think all in all, this was about as good of a, a result as we could have had for a fight like this. They had a nice moment at the end. And there you go. So... Jose, let, let me let me present this question in, in a way, and I'll let you expound upon it. If you could describe Nick Diaz's performance in one word, what would it be and why? Mm, confusing. In the sense that I don't know how to feel about it. Not that he confused me with his performance. Because uh, in one aspect... When they announced this fight, I was obviously very hyped for it. Anyone that follows me on Twitter knows I've been literally tweeting about this fight since, like, the inception of Twitter. <laughs> like, I've been asking for this fight for almost eight, like, at least eight years. Uh, I don't know. It's it's, And then when I, I heard that he wanted to do 185, and then I saw that interview with Bro Okamoto, <clears throat> I saw him all week. Uh, I was around his team a bit. It just, I felt, like, gross wanting this fight. It didn't feel like Nick wanted this fight. It didn't feel, sound like Nick was in a good space. Uh, it didn't look like Nick was in a good space. He kind of looked kind of soft. Obviously, you all saw that video of uh, him like shadow boxing and like the in the fighter photos and everything and the B roll. It just didn't look great. And then he, I saw us, and then I wa- saw him walk out. And it, I don't know. Just I, me and our friend Oscar were like, this is going to be one way traffic through five rounds. Like you got to assume Robbie's just going to piece him up and just like decapitate the man. So 
I feel weird in the sense that Nick clearly didn't want to be there, and then you saw like Jake Shields' his teammate say like, "Oh, he wasn't ready," and this and that, and then you heard his comments after saying, "Oh, well, I don't know who made this fight. I had this coming the whole time, and like I I had this coming to me." But then like I <clears throat> I had a lot of like the actual fight, like the actual athletic portion of the fight. I had a blast watching that fight. The crowd went nuts out, after outside of that third round between Volkanovski and Ortega. The crowd loved every second of Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler. Like it is exactly like if you would have told me that that like a year ago that this fight was going to happen and both fighters were going to show up like ready to throw down. That's pretty much the fight I expected. Like not like. Do you remember a, a moment Robbie Lawler took a step backwards? I don't. But did you remember like a moment Nick Diaz got like seriously hurt outside of like the 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 fight ending sequence? I didn't. <clears throat> I was watching that fight uh, with Oscar and one of the UCPR people. Like we got sat next to each other on press row, and we were both just like this the whole time. Like like people that can't see it, like we were like kind of like moving and like like it was it was so fun to watch in terms of a fist fight. And then the. And I, I remember after the first one, I'm like, there's no possible way they could keep that pace up for five rounds. Like, they just, there was never a lull. They just threw punches. How long did the fight last? 12 minutes? Around there, With yeah. That, they threw punches for 12 minutes. <laughs> they threw punches and kicks for 12 <laughs> minutes straight. That's almost a, a three-round fight. So I had a blast watching that fight. And then Robbie Lawler won in a way that I didn't expect him to win, but I did, I did predict him to win. But Nick was really – I thought Nick was competitive in that fight after taking such a long layoff and not looking great. And and it just reminded me of a comment that Gilbert Melendez said. Like, Nick is just a fighter. Like, he doesn't need a camp. He can just go in there and survive. And I think that's why fans like Nick D the Diaz brothers because, like, Volkanovski and Holloway and all these guys, like, they are extremely high-level martial artists, but they fight to win the, the win the fight. Like, they are fighting to win a sport. And Nick and Nate Diaz – they fight to survive, like in life. Like that's the only reason they're MMA fighters. And that's what I saw in there. Nick Diaz takes like that whole everyone says like it wasn't a good showing of my Nick. I think that fight personifies Nick Diaz. Takes six years off, comes in semi out of shape, didn't want to be there, and he's still competitive against Robbie freaking Lawler. The dude is just a fighter. He doesn't need a camp. He can go in there and just fight to survive. Like he's been doing his literally his whole life. So that's why I say confusing because part of me, I'm like, ah, Nick didn't need to take this. He clearly doesn't want to be there. I don't want anyone to do, I don't want anything to do things that will, that, you know, violent things if they don't want to or feel obligated to do. But then in the middle of it, I'm having so, I had so much fun watching that fight. So to answer your question, I would use confused, but only confused by how I feel about watching the fight, not by the performance Nick Diaz did. Well said. AK, what is your word and why? Uh, enough and not in a negative way not in a negative way not as in oh I've seen enough I don't want I mean as in I thought Nick Diaz's performance was good enough that I kind of still want to see him keep fighting um, it, it wasn't you know look I get it he wasn't in the best of shape you know I know, I know just looking at some of the stills from the fight uh, some, of, some of the photos that are out there some, some that we've used as like cover you know as uh, uh, header images for you know our stories it looks bad, you know. He's this is a guy who's known for being in incredible shape and for running, you know, doing triathlons, and and, and he didn't want to. Make, he didn't or couldn't uh, make this week. You know, he was you know, proposed the 185, which I think was fine for both guys. I get it. You didn't get the best looking Nick Diaz. He probably himself will admit. I'm sure uh, in in subsequent interviews, should he do them, he wasn't in the best of shape. But the skills were all there. The toughness was there for me. This was 
like the best case scenario of when we bring up the possibilities of like a Legends League, when we say, oh, we'd like to see a Legends League someday. This for me was a preview of what that could be like. It was it was two guys who, again, they've both fought well. They both fought as they, you know, as we have seen them fight throughout their careers, even though Lawler was supposedly washed going into this fight, despite the fact that his losses are to very, very good uh, high pace welterweights. So people wondering, could Robbie pull the trigger anymore? Maybe not against guys like Neil Magny. Maybe not against guys like Colby Covington. But against someone who's a little bit, again, closer to him in age, closer to him in fighting style, you're going to see the old Robbie Lawler. There was a lot. There was a sensible stoppage. You know, I know when we think of, again, people always talk about, oh, we don't want to legislate because we don't want to see these guys get, like, really badly hurt. Well, the one, as soon as one guy got really badly hurt in this fight, it was over. He had the good sense to stay on his back, to tell the referee, I've had enough. The referee immediately, you know, made, made a decision, and, and that was it, and it was called. And that that's good like that's a good thing i know people, i don't want to hear people use the word quit he it looked like he got his nose broken i know this happens two or three times a fight card but i have no problem with a fighter if they get their nose broken saying i'm done i think i don't think i want to go through it to fight anymore especially when i'm fighting robbie lawler and i'm gonna get hit in the nose 50 more times and there's a lot of respect there's a lot of mutual respect after i loved the embrace after you could tell it, it was genuine um so this for me is like all the elements that you'd want to see should, again, a promotion actually implement some sort of Legends League. So it, it wasn't peak Diaz. I, I, I'm, I'm actually glad. I know everyone, I know he's saying he wish he'd fought Kamaru Usman. I think that would have been a terrible, terrible fight. That's not a fight that I want to see anytime soon unless he, you know, fights his way back into shape, fights his way back into contention. But facing another guy that he fought 17 years ago in a rematch, I thought it was gosh it's such a weird word to use for MMA I thought it was charming I, I thought the way it played out was was really enjoyable so my word is enough as in yes that both guys did more than enough to make this I think a fight that was that they shouldn't regret that it was booked and that I want to see them both keep fighting what do you think Jose are you like did you leave and, and let me just throw a couple things out there um, one I've never spoken word one to Nick Diaz but I have spoken to a couple people close to him it seems like he's not done like he wants to keep going and I know Ariel Hawani mentioned on the MMA Hour yesterday there's some things that went on behind the scenes that may come out in regards to Nick in this fight so we'll wait and see on that but seems like AK is is good about seeing Nick fight again I know some people are like nah that was good enough but and Jose, we talk about this all the time. I know we can't make that decision. I'm not asking you to make that decision here at all. But yourself, the guy who supports high-level martial arts competition, the fan, do you want to see Nick Diaz back in there? Does that idea excite you? Or were you left with, if this is how it ends, I'm cool with that? Oh, if this is if Nick Diaz never fights again, I would have no problem with it. Like, it was a really entertaining fight. He went out on his shield. He went out, like, as AK said, like, when when people were calling like oh a coward oh he ta- oh he ca- chickened out I was like that's nonsense to do like and also like his knee might have given out underneath him like people keep, keep pointing out that too so if Nick Diaz goes out like that I have absolutely no problem if he never fights again I don't know his monetary situation if he needs to fight to make money or this and that I don't know uh, but as a fight fan and as someone who felt the atmosphere of of Nick in that arena and how receptive he was for the fans by the fans I would absolutely love to see nick diaz fight again i don't know who he fights i know a lot of people are saying like oh he should fight uh cowboy he should fight tony ferguson like this and that like if you want to take that route fine but i'm nick diaz has also said he doesn't want to fight anyone that his brother has already fought 
So I, that takes Cowboy right out of the equation. So it's not going to happen. He's not going to fight Masvidal. He's not going to fight any of the like, – he's not going to fight Leon, any of those guys. If you want to do the Tony fight, fine. But, I, again, like if Nick Diaz's knee went out, if there's stuff going on behind the scenes that he that hasn't come out, <clears throat> I wouldn't expect Nick Diaz to fight again until maybe like International Fight Week, July 2022. So like in however many months that is, like what, eight months, seven months, whatever. So something like that. Uh, but as a fight fan, I really I do want to see Nick Diaz fight again, but only if he wants to. I don't want to he- see any more interviews of like I don't know why this fight's happening. I don't even want to be here. I hate everything about this. Like every time I try to leave, they pull me back in, and <laughs> like the part where he's like, Nate is like all like Nate's taking everything I worked for because I want him to, but then now I'm back and I hate all this. Like I don't want to see any of that. If Nick Diaz wants to fight, I want him to fight. If he doesn't want to fight. I have no interest in watching the fight. That is my answer. Yeah, you know what fight wouldn't make you sad, Jose? Wonder Boy. I think that's the way to go. I think you mentioned. No, it's the- Wonder Boy, Robbie Lawler. That's the fight. I said that at the preview show. I've been asking for that fight. The only person mm. that's been asking for that fight longer than me is James Lynch. James Lynch has been <laughs> asking for that fight since Robbie Lawler was the champion of the UFC. So. Well, it was booked, wasn't it? Was it not? Booked? <clears throat> I think it was booked twice. Yeah. It's rumored. I don't think it was actually yeah, like booked. To, but I think I think if well, I think that fight could happen, and then win or lose, I think Stephen Thompson could fight. Uh, Nick Diaz. Maybe. Or uh, if they give... I know Robbie was supposed to fight uh, Ponzinibbio at one point. I wouldn't hate mm-hmm. that fight either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do... We should also discuss what Valentina Shevchenko did on Saturday night because I feel like she's often overlooked in these post-pay-per-view reactions because she's just so, so good and she just goes out and steamrolls people and it's expected and the odds are so highly in her favor. And what's interesting, I spoke with Lauren Murphy yesterday. You can watch that over on the MA Fighting YouTube channel. It was super fascinating. And, and look, she talks about her head coach testing positive for COVID on Tuesday and some of the weird things they had to go through on fight week. But it was incredibly fascinating to get an honest-to-God's account of what it is like to fight Valentina Shevchenko. And Lauren provided that, and it was really interesting. And Lauren knew after the first exchange that her, <laughs> that her strategy of i'm just gonna be tough was a terrible strategy because she got clipped with the right hand and she was like i can't be tough through all this but go watch that interview because she goes through like moments in that fight and what it was like to actually share the cage with her but jose look there's two options here we can keep feeding shevchenko contenders at 125 i know joanne calderwood is fighting alexa grasso in november a lot of people think maybe the winner of that fight my opinion is if Calderwood wins, great. If Grasso wins, I'm not ready to throw her into a title fight just yet. Build upon that a little bit more. And then depending on what happens in December at UFC 269, if Amanda Nunes retains her title against Juliana Pena, do we just go ahead and pull the trigger on the champion versus champion third fight between those two? So if you have the matchmaking hat on, I mean, you are wearing a hat. I don't know if it's a matchmaking hat, but where are you going with this? Like, do you just want to get right after the, the Nunes thing, especially after what we heard on the MA Hour yesterday? Or... Do you just want to keep letting Shevchenko just build this 125-pound resume more and more and more? I can't. I think you're muted. This is going to sound like a very Jose answer, but I really want to see how Amanda looks against Juliana Pena. Because, uh, again, I, I've said it for a long time. Like Amanda Nunes has not really fought like an incredibly high-level wrestler yet. And maybe that is her kryptonite. Maybe this, maybe that fight between Amanda and Valentina doesn't even happen because Amanda Nunes loses to a high-level wrestler. She's not really been on her back. Like, who's the last like really good wrestler she fought? Kat Zingano? And what happened? So I want to see. I want to see how she looks, even if it's competitive. 
like I said before, if it's like a hyper competitive fight, I want to just F it, run it back. If Amanda Nunes looks any part of human, if 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 Juliana Pena is her Chael Sonnen, then F it. I'll, I'll I'll watch that. I'll watch Amanda Nunes fight Juliana Pena a second time. So right now on September 30th at 9:50 a.m. Pacific time, yeah, I want to see the third fight between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. That could change in December. Uh, I've been wanting to see JoJo fight Valentina for a long time, like just because they're two very high-level Muay Thai specialists. But JoJo kind of keeps fumbling at the the goal line, or taking fights that she shouldn't have to, even though the fight is booked. But that's you know she loses fair and square, and she takes fights when she wants to fight. So I'm not blaming JoJo. Uh, I think the UFC has tried to make that fight several times, and it just hasn't worked out. I really enjoy Alexa Grasso's fighting style. Uh, she's I think she's every bit as durable as Lauren Murphy, but has incredibly fast hands. And I think she's been in a lot of fights that I think are overlooked uh, on undercards because of things that have happened later on in the fight. Like her fight against Carlos Sparks in Mexico ruled. Her fight against Karolina Kovalkiewicz in Chicago ruled. Her fight against Macy Barber ruled in Vegas. Like all of those fights are awesome. But I agree with you. If she beats JoJo, I think she's one fight away. Maybe you do Grosso Andrade for like the number one contender spot. If Alexa Grasso wins, I know Andrade wants to go down and challenge a flyweight, but she's looked great. She's the number one flyer in the world. So if she doesn't have to go down, then she doesn't have to. So I think it just really depends. Uh, but I agree with everything you said. I just, I also personally really like to see long dominant victories, like title reigns. Like I was like, what, what did, uh, Demetrius Johnson said something that has stuck with me for a long time when everyone kept trying to get him to go up to 135. He's like, how many championships are there? Three. You know how many people have the most title defenses in UFC history? One. <laughs> there can only be one. And I was like, that is a very good point. So I, ever since you said that, it's kind of made me rethink these long dominant reigns. And Jared Cannonier has also said, like, my goal is to win the belt and fill up all the rubies on each side. So I'm... Whatever Valentina wants at the end of the day, it's her prerogative. I hope she gets paid. But me personally, I want to see a long, dominant reign. And I want to see her double lap the division because we haven't seen that really since Demetrius Johnson Anderson Silva runs. Yeah, I, I, I love asking the question, like, can it be done? Can it be done? How can this person yeah. do it? And yeah. I feel like we try to find ways, but then Valentina I, just goes right into that fire and it changes the, the, the question right away. I believe... After the, I don't think you guys heard it because it was like off camera after the press conference. I believe she's the first fighter to fill up one side of the belt of rubies because they don't retroactively give you rubies. So like John Jones doesn't have like X amount of rubies or Manny News doesn't have X amount of rubies. So I believe Valentina is the first one to fill up one side. AK, Otno fans and listeners know your thoughts on this already. Yeah. You're ready to pull the trigger, but mm-hmm. especially after hearing Shevchenko on the MMA hour yesterday, being kind of un-Shevchenko-like, like throwing a little shade in there. I'm Explain not going to say game. it's a heel turn, but she, she went after the game. it. Did that enhance it even further? Is this Did this change it from this is what we should do to this is a no-brainer? Nah. Nah, for, for me it doesn't change. No, no, because I was already very high on that, and, and, and I don't, like, like I said, she's playing the game. She's playing the game. I don't know if she necessarily believes, you know, some of the things she's saying about, uh, you know, Nunez kind of feel like, she, like I kind of got away with one in the second fight. Um, I, I really there's two things I really want to see happen besides the third fight happen. I'd love to see people go back and rewatch the second fight. I again, I could be wrong. Maybe people are way more on the ball on this one. That fight is just not good. It's such a it's a dull fight. It's with respect to, you know, close technical battles. It's just a fight where a lot of stuff doesn't happen. 
Um, and the other idea that that it was somehow a robbery is just absurd. I, I'm not, I have no issue with people saying uh, Valentina Shevchenko won. That's fine. But you know, guys, know I have, I have a pretty tight definition of robbery. Like it has to be like, oh, clearly, watch that fight. So little happens in that fight that if you're telling me either fighter like ran away with it, you're 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 just not making <laughs> an objective statement. It's just not true. So that's the other reason I want to see them fight again. It's just put those first two fights in the past and uh, look the, th- the third fight could be just as dull but at least it'll give some people something new to talk about because i'm so tired of that second fight um being brought up in without any like proper context it's just bizarre to me but um I, look i i i'm also fine with her staying at flyweight and just continuing because this is like sneakily one of the better booked divisions in the UFC. I know people think it has no depth because there's such a dominant champion at the top. I disagree. I think it's actually a really a pretty good division and I think it's been getting better every year and it's been booked to keep moving. Like it keeps moving, moving, moving. They keep finding fights for the veterans. They keep uh, signing promising uh, prospects who again, unfortunately the timing's just a little off for them to ever, you know, maybe um challenge Shevchenko. I feel like a lot of them are a few fights and maybe a couple of years off. But otherwise, it's a really kind of intriguing division from top to bottom i actually really like flyweight um the other tough part about it is there's two high level gatekeepers um in the the top contender spots jessica andrage and caitlin trukagian like those two i feel like beat everybody else we talked kind of about featherweight i'm not saying andrage trukagian are on the, the holloway ortega level but i do feel like those two are a cut above every other name at 125 so that that's what makes it so tricky so uh for me i want i want to see them just do the uh, third nunez fight if the timing works out if nunez uh, has a convincing win over pena and let the let 125 kind of keep shaking itself out uh and, and get sorted because um i feel again win or lose against nunez she can always go back make that fight happen and uh she can just keep continuing her quest to to you know maybe surpass the most successful title defenses in ufc history <laughs> It's just so fun to watch Valentina fight too. It's just really amazing to to see how effort it's it's effortless, but it's not like it just looks that way. And she's just so damn good. And uh, I don't yeah whatever she does, I still think that they're gonna wait on that fight. Like if Nuna, I don't think Nunes has a lot left to give in the sport, nor should she have to give a lot more. Um, so maybe like December twenty twenty two. Last fight of Nunez's career, we do it one more time, and then she moves on, and Shevchenko can either be the champ champ or she goes back and keeps defending 125 uh, at the 125-pound title. But 266, memorable card for sure, one of the best of the year. A lot of MMA to look forward to this weekend. That's where we're going for round four. The point for round three goes to... Goes to Jose Young's. Jose Young's 2-1, to one. great battle. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And let's quickly talk about this weekend because tomorrow, it's Thursday as we record. So on Friday, little afternoon show for Bellator MMA. We actually get to see a live European Bellator show. No tape delay, no nothing. Michael Venom Page versus Douglas Lima, the main event, the rematch from a few years back. And then on Saturday, UFC is back at the Apex, UFC Vegas 38. That one is headlined by Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. So, AK, let's begin with you. The UFC has a much more interesting card top to bottom. No doubt about it. Top to bottom, this isn't even a conversation. Who has the better main event, though? Is it Bellator with the Lima MVP rematch? Or is it Santos versus Johnny Walker over on the other channel? Oh, it's Bellator. And, and, I, and I'm excited for the Tiago Santos-Johnny Walker fight. I mean, that just seems like a, a striker's delight, right? I mean, that's either going to be a, a, a wicked five-round striking battle or a highlight real KO. But I think this uh, this Lima MVP, uh, I don't want to call the rematch overdue because I think both guys had reasons and had uh, other logical opponents in between, you know, their 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 first fight and now. So it's not, I won't say overdue, but it's the I will say it's the perfect timing for it i think if they waited any longer it'd been kind of senseless this is a fight i think both guys are interested in obviously mvp wants to get that 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 loan loss back um and a lot of his fans feel he was doing well against douglas lima i I don't subscribe against i think a lot of people thought maybe he was again depending who you ask you know they'll still say oh he was really like look he was really like before he got caught you know he was probably you know uh, leading on the scorecards i don't know if i'd go that far but he was doing well i i think he did show that he is more than a quote-unquote can crusher that uh that uh, you know yes even though he's had some favorable matchmaking that doesn't mean that he's not skilled enough to fight the douglas limas of the world to fight the top welterweights in bellator so i'm glad he's getting another shot to prove it um it's a it's a it's a winnable fight for him like i think douglas lima is great i think we always talk about him as one of the most overlooked guys of 170 just because he doesn't fight in the ufc but i also think that uh that i think the skill gap between him and mvp is not as large as people think. So I'm r- super intrigued by that main event. Um, again, I'm, gl- I'm glad it's finally being done. Is it only a, th- it's only a three rounder, right? Yep. So that's, that does ding it a bit. That does ding it a bit, but I will give uh, the edge to Bellator here and I'll say, I'll say it comfortably because I think the storyline makes sense. I it's, I love that it's happening in London. This is such a, this is such a great, uh, you know, marketing move for, for Bellator. This hat, you, you need to have, uh, big Michael Page fights in London. So this had happened in like Uncas, in glamorous Uncasville, which we all love. It would have been fine. This for me takes it to another level, and that's you know probably the la- the last thing that puts it over um, Saturday's UFC main event for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the tip to Bellator here. Yeah, I mean, what did can you make an argument for Santos Johnny Walker Jose over this fight? I, I feel like this Liam MVP rematch is right up your alley. Yeah, I mean, I'll play devil's advocate because I'm a huge MVP fan and a huge Lima fan. I was actually in attendance for their first fight. It was the first. It might have been the last Bellator card I covered for MMAfighting.com. It was the same day as Rose Andrade. So, like, everyone else went to Rio and I went to cold, like, rainy Chicago. But that card's ruled because, like, let's not forget, Lima MVP was the co-main event. The main event was Chandler Pitbull. <clears throat> and also Adrian McKee, Pat Curran, and Jake Hager, and 
my God, what's his name? Tombstone Jones. What is his name? TJ Jones. TJ Jones. Yeah. So that card ruled. So I've been asking for this fight for a long time in general. Uh, but I will play devil's advocate. And I, I, so take that for, take that for what it is. I do agree with almost, almost everything AK said. Uh, three round fight for MVP Lima is a huge ding for me. Their first fight was a five round fight because again, that's part of the Welterweight Grand Prix where every fight was five rounds because Rory McDonald, the champion was in there. <clears throat> I want this to be five rounds and, uh, uh, an individual named Ross McCafferty, who I believe is a reporter over in the UK, or I don't know his exact, uh, job over there, but he's like from Scotland. He lives in London and he tweeted at me when I was talking about this. And this is, this is the exact phrasing for this card taking place in London. Doesn't seem like there'll be much of a home crowd for MVP. It's a shame. This fight is not well marketed. It is a top heavy card. It is not very well priced at all. Even the worst seats in the house are 80 bucks. You think they'd cut prices down and go for a packed crowd. Half empty arena isn't going to be a good look. Now, this is someone that has his boots on the ground in London. He's saying it's not even going to be a home crowd fight for MVP because it's going to be an empty arena. Maybe they cut the prices down. You know how a lot of fighters... That Bellator does a lot of those things where like the local fighters are like at the is like the amateur regional scene and they can sell tickets to fill out the arena. But if if that's the case, and I tend to agree with someone who's living in London that this fight is not being well marketed, then someone that's what on the on the west coast of the United States, about as far away from London as you can get. So uh those are the two knocks for this card. Uh I apparently apparently, according to someone there, it's not being well marketed. It will be a semi empty arena. Uh, let's also not forget it's in the middle of a pandemic. The UFC was supposed to go to London and they pulled it because of travel restrictions. Uh, MVP said Lima. I don't know if you watch. Obviously, you guys watched the MVP interview with Ara Hawani on the MMA Hour. He said Lima had asked for this to be possible catch weight. That's not happening. I know they made weight, but the fact that Lima's already hinting at maybe struggles at making 170 may, makes me think that this might not be the best fight in the world. I actually thought MVP did really well in the first round. Yes, if you watch that fight, Lima was on top of him for a lot of it, but MVP had like risk control for a huge chunk of that fight. And he was kind of, I don't want to say he was piecing him up, but MVP was clearly the more dangerous striker on the feet in that fight. And then he himself said when he got knocked down, you know, when you get knocked, like the first rule of when you get knocked down in MMA is you go backwards away from the strikes. But MVP said he had such success on the feet that he got overconfident and just stood up like he was tying a shoe. And walked and leaned right into a right hook from or a hook from hell that decapitated the man. So he knows the exact mistake he made. And MVP seems like the type of guy that can make adjustments. I'm not going to give a prediction just yet, but uh, I think those are the big knocks. Plus, Tiago Santos is a monster, and he has like anyone that has a Thor's hammer tattooed on his chest. And we talk about MVP's interview a lot, but did you watch Johnny Walker's interview? That was With awesome. <laughs> what he said, I want to go to hell because hell is my home and I want to be comfortable in my home. I want to taste the blood in my mouth. So I'm like, my God. Well, if there's one man that is going to take you to hell, it's going to be Tiago Santos. So I'm all in favor of this fight. 10 out of 10 across the board. Soon to be new dad, Tiago Santos. Let's not forget, Yannis Gunsky is pregnant. So. Uh, I think if you're going to watch one fight, watch that fight because that fight could last 30 seconds or it could be five rounds of quote-unquote hell. Or I guess third option could be AK's lovely prediction of Johnny Walker and Nikita Krylov. 
that's not making three rounds. And then we saw what happened. Uh, one of the greatest moments in between the links history came from that fight. <laughs> thanks to uh, my, our friend Davidson Baker. Um, Jose, real quick before you move on here. Low-key, banger, storyline. We're coming off 266, so the, the hangover's a little bit real heading into these fight night events. But there are some interesting fights, some interesting storylines heading into Saturday. Uh, and maybe you, you, maybe the low-key banger and storyline's coming from Bellator. I doubt it, but w- what say you? What's the one that sticks out I to mean, you? I mean, for Bellator, if you're going to watch one fight outside of the main event, it's probably the co-main, Lee McCourt. I think is kind of the one to watch. Uh, I know that the, the female divisions aren't the most stacked, so anytime you kind of get any sort of rise, I think that's the the fight you want to pay attention to. Uh, I also believe she's very good friends with Molly McCann. So anyone anyone that Molly likes has to be a good person because Molly's <laughs> like the nicest person in the in the world. But if you're talking about the UFC, um, I mean, there's like the whole main of the main card in general. Every fight has some sort of interest in it. Like Cowboy Oliveira, Nico Price, bananas. Macy, I don't know if you watched Macy Chazen's media day interview, but she doesn't have a lot of positive things to say about Aspen Ladd because of they pulled out of her last fight and Aspen apparently was apparently very classless. Uh, so anytime there's a fight with some sort of heat, especially between the ladies, I'm very excited for. Alexander Hernandez is a psycho. Uh, prelims, though, the 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 retirement fight, Betch Gojeda. I'm going to let A.K. Lee talk about that fight. Oh, pour one out. Pour one yeah, out. I'm going to let A.K. Lee bring that one up, <laughs> Anthony Shevchenko. So we're going to see... Uh, Valentina back in her corner. I know, Mike, you've interviewed Casey O'Neill a few times. I know she's like one of the people to watch at Flyweight. Antonis Shevchenko has oddly enough become a gatekeeper for no reason outside of her last name. Like they give her these high level prospects or people that they want to like use the Shevchenko name to kind of bounce off off of, which is whatever. If that's your role, she's still getting high level fighters. So pretty much every fight on this card has at least some sort of intrigue for me. Even if it's just one fighter, uh, as as I think Jed Mishu has said a few times, and I've said a few times, there's a lot of Wikipedia pages, a lot of Wikipedia <laughs> pages on this card. So the UFC card is fun, uh, and I'm glad Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker is a five-round fight. So if you're going to pick one card between the two to watch from the beginning on, the obvious answer is the UFC. Like, that's just a no-brainer. AK, you know how, especially on the matchmaking show, my relationship with Antonina Shevchenko is. It is like an emotional yes. roller coaster. It's up and down. She, I, I don't know, even I, like to bring her name up. Yeah, it's 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 tough. And then you know, I'm like, all right, she's finally got over that threshold. Here we go. Now she's gonna go. And then she loses <laughs> her next fight. She gets submitted by Andrea Lee, which is there's no shame in that. Andrea Lee is a very talented fighter. But now we're we're back to where she was before, and she's taking on Casey O'Neill, who's a, a hell of a fighter. But that's a great fight under the radar. Not a lot of people are talking about it. But what's yours? What's the low key banger, low key storyline that's that's not getting enough love in your opinion? Oh well, I am just so intrigued. Well, again, I I'm a little disappointed this isn't on the main card as as Jose brought up. This is Bech Cohea versus Kerrosa. Uh, I'm probably over accenting that. Uh, I'll say Kerrosa is like the. Uh, well, this is this is Beshkohea's last fight. This is presumably her last MMA fight. She has announced it as her last MMA fight. Uh, her fight with I think this was supposed to happen in uh, not her fight with Carl Rosa, but I think she was supposed to fight uh, Wu Yanan, and I think that was supposed to be her last fight. And then did she kind of get released? But then the UFC agreed to give her one more fight. Yep. There's a lot of work that went into making this fight happen. <laughs> and I would like, how can you bury this? As, it's not even the featured prelim. This is this is a, this is a legend. <laughs> Okay, I know we. Exa- I know. Listen, uh, she has become, you know, from her early days as being sort of this heel foil to Ronda Rousey, 
that's a long time ago. Since then, she's become almost like an Artem Lobov type like cult figure um, as far as her toughness and her ability to somehow still keep getting high profile fights, even though her she hasn't always had the most success inside the cage. Her 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 dancing skills, which would make Bob Fosse blush. I mean, it is <laughs> there's so much like to appreciate about her. She she's she's carried herself pretty well, and like I said, ever since the Rousey stuff, which was just everyone's flinging heat here and there all over the place, she's carried herself pretty well in interviews. And I think she's been a good, pretty good ambassador for the sport. So uh, I I wish that this fight would be a bit higher. Um, so it shouldn't even be a deep cut. I I would I mean you could put Alexander Hernandez and Mike Breeden on the prelims. I know they like Alexander Hernandez. I don't know. Uh, otherwise, it is a pretty strong main card, as as Jose mentioned. So some really a couple other weird to look out for. Uh, Alejandro Perez and Johnny Eduardo have not been able to fight for a long time. Probably, you know, COVID-19 related travel slash visa issues and all that. Uh, this will be Johnny Eduardo's first fights in like over 1200 days. He's 43 years old. He's close to his entering his like 25th year as a professional MMA fighter. So Johnny Eduardo is back people. He's not retired and he's fighting another guy coming off a long layoff in uh, uh, turbo Perez. So that's a fun one. And then I want to point out one more oddity on the uh, Bellator card. I'm really interested in, uh, I need to start Elena Kalianidou, who is this? She's a 22 year old fighter from Greece. Uh, she's had two, like several kicks of the can with Bellator. They brought her in when she was like 19. She lost two fights. They released her logically. She went back, won some fights, came back to Bellator, has lost her next two fights. She's 0-4 in Bellator so far. I think she's being set up with an opponent that she should be able to defeat. So this will be this is deep on the on the Bellator prelim. So that's one. I want to see this young lady, very talented young fighter, uh, get her first Bellator win. If she doesn't, if this is 0-5 in Bellator, then uh, you know maybe it's just it's just not meant to happen for her right now. But um, yeah, that's one fight to look out for. Elena Kalinidou and Petra Kastkova. AK digging deep. Real deep. Digging deep. Super deep. You're like digging to dig into another country right now, AK. And uh <laughs> all the way to Greece. All the way to Greece. And because of that, you have tied things up. It is two to two. We head to the knockout round. Such a shocking development here on BTL. One question, one minute for each competitor. They have no idea what this question is. They will discuss amongst they will discuss their thoughts on this question. And then after that, I will award the winner. We're not going to call anybody in because we just don't have that kind of time. We don't have that kind of... We're not on video. It's not that big of a deal. So, um, Jose, we'll, we'll go with you. You know, do, we're going to give you the champion's prerogative. I believe you're the last person to, uh, between the two of you, to have a victory on the program. So, I'll allow you to, uh, to dictate. You want to go first or pass it on over to AK? I can't. What, I, oh, you got on mute. You're muted. Yeah. So I, I'm going to pass it on to AK because I know if he was given the champion's prerogative, he would have wanted to go first anyway. So since, it is, a, since it is AK's birthday, Always. happy birthday, AK. <laughs> oh, I thank you. That is my reasoning. Not competitive advantage at all. I'm doing this for AK. What a gift. <laughs> AK, I'm not going to. Uh, I know when it comes to these questions, you get a little nervous, you get a little anxious. You're like, no. what, is it going to be a door question? Is it going to be put nervous. myself in the perspective of a different fighter? <laughs> no, we're not doing any of that. We're going to keep things simple, okay? We are going to shine some more light on the greatness of UFC 266, okay? We are going to award the sixth player award winner for UFC 266. We're going to give this award to a fighter who competed on that card that delivered a tremendous performance but is not being discussed enough, that is not getting enough shine coming out of Saturday's event, whether it be the first fight, whether it be a main card fight, 
however you dictate this question, however you see it playing out in your mind, you go with that. We're going to put one minute on the clock. Who is the six-player award winner from UFC 266? Your time starts right now. Gosh, there's like two obvious choices, so I'm really glad I'm going first here. And let me just say, overall, uh, this was such a classy card, like the way the fighter behavior was. So uh, I'm sure Jose will cover the other one that I'm thinking of. I'm going to go with Marab Davalishvili. I mean, I had picked Marlon Rice to beat him. Uh, I just think Marlon is still like, you know, uh, at his best as like a top five bantamweight. I know, again, he's had some struggles. But early on, classic Marlon, you know, stings his opponent early. Looks like he's ready to get another first round finish. And uh, Marab, this is exactly the test he needed. This is a guy who a lot of us have him pegged as a future bantamweight title challenger. There's obviously things in his way. It's pretty deep. It's a deep division. There's a lot of contenders up top. And his best friend, uh, one of his best friends, uh, currently holds the undisputed title. We'll see how long that lasts. But uh, so for, for me, this is the performance Marab needed. 10 seconds. And it's the featured prelim, which is always nice. It was on ESPN like news or something. Okay, so I don't know how much exposure he got. But this is seven straight wins against, again, a pre- former title contender, a guy who has just been uh, top ranked forever. And kind of, almost like with Volkanovski. Showed his resilience, showed his expertise, showed his finishing ability. Just an awesome performance all around. Showed his personality after. So uh, I think pretty easy pick for me. The sixth man would be uh, Marab Balashvili. All right, AK taking uh, some liberties with the time. It's all okay. Oh, sorry, my, my sound went out for a second. It's okay. I, as far as people are concerned, my sound went out, <laughs> and okay. uh, I did not hear the, the warning. Uh, it's the magic of, of digital audio. All right, Jose, he went with Marab, AK with Marab Dewalishwili. That's a great pick. Uh, same question for you. Who is your six-player award winner? Maybe you could pick Marab, and you have different reasons for that, but it's up to you. Uh, 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. It's a great pick, but it's an obvious pick, so I'm not going to go with the obvious pick. Also, that was the sixth fight from the top, so just the, the and everything lines up for the answer to be Marab Davalishvili. But I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with the one that probably no one's talking about because he got overshadowed by the rest of the card because he was on the first fight of the night. Jonathan Pierce fought Omar Morales. And if I have to ask you, how many times has who is the only man other than Jonathan Pierce to beat Omar Morales? That's right. You guessed correctly. Giga Chikadze, who's on an absolute tear. How many times has Omar Morales ever been finished in his entire life before Saturday night? Zero. He went to a decision with Giga Chikadze. Jonathan Pierce submits him in the in like what the second round in a very exciting fight. It was very, a lot of fun scrambles. Walks into the back. None of the microphones even work. And no one seems to care. And he just goes, "Oh, you know what? Take your time. You guys are doing. You got a, You guys got a long night ahead of you. Let's get all the bugs out." So you know what, Jonathan Pierce, I appreciate you for understanding the plights of the media backstage. Also, Mike, you were there. People ask me what one-way traffic is in an MMA fight. Watch Joe Lozon versus Jonathan Pierce. Joe Lozon basically just big brothered him into a into a TKO victory, and then Joe Lozon hasn't ever fought again. So, congratulations, Jonathan Pierce. You have back-to-back wins over Kai Kamaki the third and Omar Morales. And I didn't even think you were UFC talent after fighting Joe Lozon. So you are my sixth man because you proved me wrong. You're very respectful to the media backstage, and you. St- Stopped a man who went three rounds with Gichikadze. Congratulations, Jonathan Pierce, on a, on a second UFC win. My pick was more attached to AK, but it's Ray Longo <clears throat> and Matt Serra. They actually get to, to share this award because if you just need a pick-me-up, if you need a boost in life, I want you to go watch the corner of Marab Dewalishwili between rounds one and two in that 
Marmorize fight and you will be you will go run 10 miles if you've never run 10 miles before you will go run 10 miles because between Ray Longo and Matt Sarah I was jacked up on Saturday night after listening to that corner uh, but we heard it we got Marab we got JSP excellent arguments from both ends but now I gotta pick a winner and this is the worst part of the gig but technically as you know there really isn't a winner we just play and debate but the winner of colleague versus colleague BTL is the man with the backwards hat, Jose Youngs. He gets it done. What? Digging deep with JSP. No one else would have done that. <laughs> Just no, nobody else would have done that. AK, it was you a know, wonderful they guess. They wouldn't think to. They would, you know why they, they can think to? Because now we have a podcast on MMAfighting.com called I Got Next, where they can meet the next wave of talent in the MMA. And Look if they the want fun. to inter- if they want to see Marab talk, they can go. They can tune in Mondays and Wednesdays on the MMA Hour. MMAfighting.com for all of your content. This is why you're my colleague. This is why, <laughs> when I think of colleague, Jose Young is one of the first faces that comes to mind. There you go. What That's a professional. Right. All right, Jose, I know you got things to do and places to go, but before you before you leave, 30 seconds, my friend. Talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and different, MMA-related. Go. I'm not talking about anything MMA-related. I'm going to talk about, listen, Mike, this is a very important day for people in Boston. I swear to God, if the Seattle Mariners make the playoffs for the first time since 2001 and the Red Sox are on the outside looking in, I might burn down a house. Like. <laughs> There's no reason why we should have 90 win. Like, we're playing the Orioles. Hey, if we lose today to the Orioles and we don't make them, because then we have to go face the Nationals, who also aren't very good. Like, the, listen, the the, ML, the baseball gods are laying this up for us to make the playoffs and shut out the Mariners again. Did you know, AK? Actually, no. Of course, AK knows this. <laughs> the Seattle Mariners have had the longest playoff drought in North American professional sports as of right now. They haven't made the playoffs since Ichiro's rookie year when they won 116 wins and then they lost in the ALCS. Yeah. They haven't won since. They haven't made the playoffs since. Not for lack of time. They have a good team. They're going to make the playoffs next year. They're just not this year. The Red Sox should make the playoffs and then they get swept in the first round because that's what's going to happen. But... I swear to God, if the Mariners break their streak and it's on the Red Sox expense because they can't beat the Orioles and the Nationals, I'm going to light a house on fire. It's oddly enough, the 10-year anniversary of the day that the Red Sox and Terry Francona parted ways oh. after the Red Sox lost their season finale to the Baltimore Orioles and missed out on the playoffs. Yeah, but the Orioles were really good. <laughs> they were good down the stretch. They were the spoiler of all spoilers. Um, they were. They didn't make the playoffs. I still think they had the worst record in the AL East that year, but they won like 18 of 20. That was like right the on the peak of when they were going to like, they had like young Machado, young Adam Jones, like young Chris Davis. Like they were about to break out. So yeah. Mar- again, and that's the Mariners this year. So don't let it happen again, Red Sox. I know you have an awful, you can't field. You forgot how to catch pop flies. You give up home runs like it's your job. Your but just sucks. don't let it happen to the Mariners. <laughs> Fulton sucks a bit. AK, your thoughts on MMA or or, or the, the world of professional baseball? Oh, I just want to say I was I was surprised neither of us picked Dan Hook for that last question. I got to give a special oh, shout out to Dan. Oh yeah, and and, and Nazar Hakbras. But 
specifically to Dan, he, he won the fight. And also, he used his post-fight mic time to, like, pray. To, he's just like, oh, don't worry about me. It's like, you know, uh, uh, Nazrat went through so much as well. The visa, of course, his mother recently passed. So he used, like, the first, like, 30 seconds of his post-fight victory speech to praise his opponent. And this is just kind of my example, like, I think, and why I and some people enjoyed UFC 266 is at the moment the fights were great and then the behavior around the fights I thought was also just wonderful I thought there was so much respect and people acknowledging just like how difficult it is to make these events happen you know during a pandemic and and to see Dan Hooker like again go out of his way when we know he's been through hell trying to you know get get to Vegas over the last two weeks for them to then say well it was nothing compared to what my you know what my opponent went through. I thought it was just awesome. So I was surprised that, that Jose didn't go with that, and I thought I was a shoe in when he went for for Jonathan Pierce. But yeah, it again. just felt too too on the too obvious. This, he's a multiple time BTL champion, and uh, and I am not. <laughs> AK, you are a multiple time champion. Go I back mean, to the archives. You are. You are. I mean, technically, I've won more than once, but I think like I've never. You know what? Who cares? This is about me. Congratulations, Jose. That's true. And, 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 <laughs> else. and I hope I hope all of our baseball teams make the playoffs. I'm going to a game. I'm going to a game Friday night. And uh, fingers crossed, uh, the, the Jays got to beat the Yankees to stay so, alive. So you can watch the second place winner for the American League MVP. Yes, I'm not going to argue with that. I, th- I think the Otani stuff is crazy. I don't, I, I yeah. don't see the Blue Jays. I don't Blue see how Jays, he can't beat the MVP. The Blue Jays terrify me. I've been saying that for like three years. Vlad Junior, Vlad Junior, Bobichet, George Springer, and Calvin Biggio is going to have to get his act together. But Jays, Jays got a bad. Team. Jays got a bad bullpen too, though. So I'm, I'm suffering the same stress. <laughs> yeah, bullpens. Bullpens are everything, man. Bullpens are everything, especially in September and October. But that'll do it, everybody. BTL is in the books. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it very much. Uh, don't forget this weekend, fight coverage galore on MMAfighting.com. We got the preview show coming up on Friday for UFC Vegas 38. We got your Bellator results and all that coverage. We'll have a pre-fight. Q&A, People's Pre-Fight Show before UFC Vegas 38, Post-Fight Show, all that good stuff. And, of course, AK and I back on Sunday for another episode of On to the Next One. But until then, we'll see you next week right here on Between the Legs. Good night, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.